1: And a
2: very good Thursday morning to you on what is a lovely bright morning and it's kind of a bit of an autumn nip there I felt uh, earlier on but it really is lovely to have some sunny spells and some blue skies. Where are we at? The 23rd of September to make the winter, won't it? That little bit shorter when we, go to, when we get a good September and we have in the last number of years got a good, a good September so uh, long may it uh, last and enjoy it I suppose uh, while it is with Bernie's taking your calls, 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us today? Text or WhatsApps. They're already starting to come in. Thank you for those. 0862-103-103. And I'm looking in particular for parents' reaction to the next Monday's planned easing of close contact rules for primary school uh, children. Hasn't been welcomed by all. And I'm reading in all of the papers today that the teachers unions feel that this decision is coming too quickly under the new changes from next Monday. Children under the age of 13 who are close contacts of a confirmed COVID-19 case in a school setting or in a childcare setting will now no longer be required to self-isolate and that comes in from next Monday. That's as long as... As they remain symptom free, the idea behind this move is it will reduce disruption to schools, and it means that thousands of children who have been and are, as we speak, self-isolating, will be able to return to the classroom. It was the chief medical officer Tony uh, Houlihan. He made the decision, and he said the reopening of schools. He says it hasn't led to an increase in transmission of COVID nineteen among the school-going children are indeed, he said, it hasn't spread out more widely across the population. If anything, our numbers have plateaued and they've started to decrease. Public health sources believe an increase in detected cases among primary school children earlier this month, that that was actually linked to a fourfold increase in testing and it said case numbers have now stabilised and they've been stabilised for the last 10 days. The easing of the close contact rules. Now, it won't apply to children who are a household close contact of a positive case, and that's due to the higher risk of disease transmission in those settings. So if a child is confirmed. COVID positive while he or or she's bubble at school can remain in school. If that child has any siblings, any brothers or sisters at home under the age of 13 or anyone in the household who isn't vaccinated or hasn't recovered from COVID-19, they will have to remain at home and the rules that are in place now will stay in place where they'll have to go for their COVID test and test again on day 10 and only if they're negative on the day 10 result will they be allowed back into the classroom and they still have to restrict their movements the very same way that, they, that they're that they doing at the moment. Existing rules will also continue to apply to primary school students who attend special schools or who attend special classes. Overall, public health advice remains that any child aged 12 years or under who displays symptoms which are consistent with the virus they need to rapidly self-isolate. They must not attend school or a childcare setting. They cannot socialise and they can't do that until they get a negative result and until they're 48, 48 hours after they are symptom-free. Now, the Irish National Teachers Organisation, the INTO, they were straight out of the blocks yesterday about this. Their General Secretary, John Boyle, they, they feel that these changes, if the Department of Education and effort want to bring in these changes, they reckons that they should be deferred until more reliable data on the outbreaks in primary school is available. He proposed that any changes should come in from the 1st of November and the 1st of September is when the schools will reopen after the Halloween midterm break. And he said that would allow time for better data to be obtained and sufficient time for considered uh, analysis. FORSA then, on the other hand, but FORSA are the group who represent about 14,000 staff, including the special needs assistance. They've welcomed the changes on the basis that the students who are in the special education se- setting, that they're excluded. They The rules will remain the same for uh, them. Now, also not happy with it, is Professor Kingston Mills of Trinity College in Dublin. He says it will likely lead to a greater spread of COVID-19 in schools. He said the number of cases in primary schools has already been going up in recent weeks. And he said it increased the chance also of children unwittingly infecting people in their own household. He said it could be people who had been vaccinated, but the immunity for the vaccine has started to wane. Ari said they could be living in households where there are people who are unvaccinated and figures out yesterday show that 5.2% of primary school children, that works out at one in 20, who were a close contact in the last seven days, they ended up testing positive for the virus. Now that's an increase on the positivity rate of what it was back in June when the school closed. At that stage... It was around two, it never went more than 3% positivity rate of children. So there's a bit of a jump there on the number of children when they get identified as a close contact going forward. They might not necessarily have any symptoms, but 5.2% have tested uh, positive. And then, of course, as we mentioned yesterday, the number of cases in primary schools has doubled. Now, it's doubled from a very small base. Let's not get too excited about this. It went to, there was 90 outbreaks in schools last week the previous week it had been at 40 so it over over doubled. Now out of those 90 cases there was 412 in pupils or staff who were identified as COVID positive. The majority of the 90 outbreaks of course were in primary schools, 78 but public health officials say the number of children involved in the outbreaks where the virus was passed on was very low. When you think out of the whole 90 cases it was only 412 and again as I say you know when, when you see oh my god the number of cases in primary schools and in schools as doubles people say oh this is very worrying but when you when you see 90 outbreaks in schools and remember an outbreak can be anything two and more and in some cases it was only two pupils in the school but that would have been deemed an an outbreak but 90 outbreaks in school last week. We have nearly 4,000 schools so it's a very small proportion of schools actually had uh, outbreaks and it was the Chief Medical Officer who made this recommendation and one of the reasons when he was pushed on why he feels that this is a good idea he said that given the importance of education for children he said now is the right time to change the approach to the management of the virus in schools. And I heard him saying that it can be very disruptive to children, particularly young children, if they're constantly having to be sent home and then they're excluded, they have to restrict their movements for 10 days. And then, of course, there's the the added thing that they have to go forward for two COVID tests, the PCR tests not the nicest thing to have done so he just feels very very disruptive for uh, children and already getting in some of your thoughts on this, uh, Patricia changing the rules on the contact tracing I think says this texter is a bad move. At uh, The way this government handled the rules from start to finish, they keep having different rules They'll have rules in place and then they change it. I think some of these changes have been a disaster but that hasn't surprised me at all, says this particular texter. And actually when I had the ASDI on um, earlier in the week when we were talking, about, because this was rumoured that they were going to introduce this, introduce the close contact uh, issue. Now it wasn't such and it w- won't continue to be a major problem for secondary school uh, pupils because the majority of secondary school pupils, as we know, have been vaccinated. No, not all of them, uh, but certainly it won't be as big as a problem as it would be in the primary school. But I would, when I was speaking with the ASDI, with Eamon uh, Dennehy, the president of the ASDI, we were talk about the fact how schools have handled COVID cases. And there hasn't been a huge number of COVID cases in the school. And I was making the point to him what schools are really doing their best when it comes to, you know, the secondary school pupils, the the children wearing their masks and staggering the times that schools might start and pupils having one way in, one way out. You know, schools have done really well, as indeed have the pupils, by abiding by all the rules and regulations that have been put in place. But I put it to the ASTI, could it also be the fact that as soon as a child, a pupil has been identified as COVID positive, that the bubble of the close contact Any close contact that that pupil has been with has been sent home. And could that have been one of the reasons that we have seen numbers stay lower in schools? So, and I think that's where the INTO are coming on this. We need to give it a little bit more time. And I suppose only time now will tell from next Monday. It's probably going to be about two weeks time. If we are going to see any kind of an increase in schools, it won't happen immediately. And only time will tell if... Tony Houlihan has made the wrong decision on this one. But looking back on a lot of the decisions that Tony Houlihan and Neffert have made, they haven't been wrong. You know, they they're very measured in the decisions that they make and they don't do things on a whim. And they certainly aren't forced into making any decisions and they're not lobbied by any groups. So I always really take on board any recommendation made by Neffert because we have had in the past the government not taking on board the recommendations from Neffert, and then it has proven that the government were wrong not to go with what Neffert had suggested. So remember, this is coming from the top, it is coming from Tony Hoolan, and it is coming from Neffert. Lucy, Lucy has already been on to us, and Lucy says, Thank God. For this decision, I can't afford to take any more time off to mind my children. If any of my children were sent home, they would have to stay home for ten days, whether they had COVID nineteen or uh, not. It has been a constant worry to me that any of my smallies would be identified as a close contact and be sent home. I'm hugely, hugely relieved by this news, and uh, Lucy reckons a lot of her friends feel the very same way. Children parents of children in primary school who every day have been dreading that the text or the phone call would come home to say that your Johnny or your Mary has been identified as a close contact you now have to keep them home for 10 days if you're a working parent that can present problems 1850 333 103 Bernie's taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103, 103 on the changing of the rules around close contacts for primary school children. Mary says I agree Patricia with that ruling. Delighted to hear that they're changing it from next Monday. My grandchild has missed 10 days already in school in June identified as a close contact and then two weeks ago out again for another 10 days. She actually ended up missing her communion. Oh that is just dreadful for the smallies when they get identified as I have a family member who, who was due to make his communion on on Saturday and he's devastated as well and he's been identified as close contact and he's tested negative but he can't make his uh, communion the poor little fella. Anyway, Mary said, she my granddaughter tested negative both times. Ads did the other three in her bubble. The parents need to be more vigilant. If your child is really ill, like coughing and spluttering, if your child is a high temperature, please, 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 says Mary, will you keep your child... At home and don't send the child into school. The onus really is on parents. And that's the one thing that Tony Houlihan and the HSE and the Department of Education are a pains to point out if your child has any of the symptoms and I know there's a huge array of symptoms when it comes to COVID-19 but they're asking people to err on the side of caution and to please keep your child at home because by doing that you're protecting others who haven't been vaccinated in the school from uh, picking it up. Now Premier League Live is back this Saturday here on c103.ie with Trevor Welch powered by Talk Sport. We're bringing you live coverage of Chelsea versus Man City that at 12.30. Everton versus Norwich City, that's at 3. And then Brentford will take on Liverpool. That's our final match at 5.30pm. That's the Premier League Live Online with NOW. Stream live Premier League action with the NOW Sports or Sports Extra membership. And you can listen this Saturday on C103's app or you can go to c 103com I.E. Cork today <laughs> on C 103.
0: Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment.
2: 086-2103-103. Official figures released this week show that almost 690 domestic abuse incidents have been reported to the Gardaí every week on average this year. So to hear that there's a shortage of safe havens for victims here in Cork is truly shocking. Sharing her concerns, the former mayor of Cork County, Councillor Mary Lenahan Foley. Good morning to you, Mary. Morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. And now, unfortunately, the pandemic has led to an increase in incidents of domestic violence. But I, I, something people may not realise, COVID has actually led to a shortage of safe houses. Are the spaces in safe houses?
3: Yes, they have, Patricia. And I suppose this came to my attention a number of weeks ago when I was in touch with Jana, which are You Are Not Alone. They're based in North Cork as well as down here in East Cork and I was speaking to former councillor June Murphy over a number of issues because we touch base all the time with housing and that and she informed me that there there, there are two in Cork, one is the House and the other one is Coomera and they have been used we'd say over the last number of years but there's six beds in Coonwira, and only three are allowed to be used because of COVID. But I suppose my motion when it went in and it was unanimously passed, which is very good, and, you know, I'm hoping something will, good will come out of this, is that we don't have one in the East Cork area. So if anything happens to anyone, and normally, some t- majority of times, I suppose, things like this happen during the night or in the late hours of, early hours of the morning, you have to travel to the city, and more than that, when you get there, they're full, Patricia. So there's actually no safe haven for any woman or children that are in need of us um, in the middle of the night or down in this area, you know.
2: And who's who runs the safe havens?
3: These are run by the Domestic Violence um, Group, and I know Yana run the one in North Cork. And so, are a- they are they
2: run by voluntary groups?
3: Yes, majority of voluntary groups, along with other services like the HFV, um you know, because you do need other services when somebody is attending these or when somebody has to go there, you need other services as well. Because I suppose Cork County Council, we would see a lot, and Councillor Sinead Shepherd spoke on it as well, of people that have to leave their homes very, very quickly. And we don't have anywhere as such. And there's a process, as you probably know, Patricia, of getting approved for social housing mm. or getting into a social house. And we and know what we, waiting
2: lists are like.
3: We do, 100%. And we know what waiting lists are like to be approved, Patricia, yeah. which could take up to 10, 12 weeks. So I suppose where I was coming from on this is if we could provide a house, a safe house, that people could go to and they'd feel safe, they'd have the other services like the HSD and all the other um, services that they would need at that particular time. It would mean that they have somewhere to get themselves together, get involved with the other organisations, get on the social housing list if needs be, or get emergency help. And this is where, I suppose, my motion was coming from.
2: It must be soul-destroying, Mary, for a victim to come forward to be told there's nowhere safe for you to go.
3: Yes. 100%. And, you know, we're, I suppose, as a county councillor, we're not qualified a lot of the time to deal with something like that. And it's so destroying for us as well that we can't help or that we can't provide somewhere safe for them to go. You know, there are organisations out there and they're doing a mighty great job. But I felt that Cork County Council could lead the way here like they did in North Cork and provide one house, three, four bedroom house that would be available for victims or survivors that need it at that particular time, Patricia.
2: Yeah, and then it's, it's a stepping, I mean, all those safe havens are stepping stones. It's, it's when the initial crisis, and it is a crisis when, uh, oh, and it is mainly women, uh, let's be honest, that flee and many of them fleeing with children. And they're in crisis at that stage. So you Their get them crisis, into the safe yeah. haven and then the plan would be put a plan in place to move them on.
3: Yes, and as well as that, you mentioned crisis there. It's also one of the biggest steps for a lot of the women to take to make that move or to know that they have to move. You know, because a lot of these times people stay where they are because they're afraid or that... They don't have anywhere to go, and I just felt, you know, from listening to the stories of individuals that contact me on different occasions for housing, you know, we're like, oh, Mary, and I can't direct them. You have Edel House; they're doing mighty work. You also have Coonweeera above; they're doing mighty work, but it's not enough. Like the county is so so big, Patricia, you know that, and we're always saying about the size of the county, mm. it's the largest one, and you know, I feel, I suppose, my hands are tied when I can't advise them or at least give them somewhere to go where they can reach out and where the services can reach out to them and help them, you know, take their first step.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, how often have you heard and and indeed we've been privileged to interview uh, people over the years who have finally fled domestic violence uh, situations. And, you know, when they share their stories and you hear them inevitably say, you know, why they stayed so long was they had nowhere to go or they weren't capable of going anywhere. And there was literally nowhere safe for them to go. So, yeah, we, we need to have more places and, and let it be known that there are safe places for for exact, these people. Yes,
3: exactly. And the and figures like,
2: the figures I mentioned that were released this uh, this week, the increase in costs from the Gardaí, I mean, they're truly shocking and they're from... This is a nationwide problem, Mary. This isn't just a problem for Cork.
3: Oh, 100% Patricia. 100%. But like as I said in my motion and I was so, so surprised with the other councillors that spoke on it as well and they both so emotionally honest because they've all been contacted by somebody. There's no point in saying any difference. We've all been contacted at some stage by somebody that is looking, but the figures are shocking. And I suppose yes, it was mentioned, I read that in the paper during the week, that you know, because of COVID did, did, because of COVID when you're at home and when there was nowhere else to go, is that the reason mm. or was it there all the time, Patricia? You know?
2: Yeah, it just, it seemed to, maybe it, it has forced more people to come forward and say, I can't do this anymore. I mean, and it's only time will tell as to what was the increase. Was it the pandemic triggered it? Or was it that because we know it's such a hidden problem. We've never been able, and we never will get accurate figures on how many people are suffering from both males and females, because it's such a hidden problem.
3: It is such a hidden problem, but I think as I mentioned, if somebody is brave enough to come forward and feel, look, I need help, I need the supports that are out there, and like Cork County Council, and I said that in my motion, can't give the supports that's needed, that would be through other organisations that would tie in with this safe house so that you'd have somebody there to help them on their pathway to providing. You know, the forms that's needed, the filling out of the forms, that's the last thing anybody wants to be doing when they're in a crisis. And to help them get make that step so that they can get a safe home for themselves, whether it be half-approved, private renting, and on the social housing list eventually. But, like, these things take time. And when they make that initial big step to move, I think... We should have somewhere safe for them to go, Patricia.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you you, say you got unanimous support. What happens now to your motion?
3: What happens now is we have um, an SBC on housing on Friday afternoon. And Councillor Seamus McGrath is the chair of that. And I've spoken with him this week even. That motion is now um, put forward to that committee because that's the committee on housing that deals with, I suppose, deals with stuff like this. So um, it's coming in front of the Housing SPC on Friday, tomorrow afternoon. And they will tie in then with other services as well. And we'll discuss it further from there then, where this should be. As in, East Cork is a large area as well, Patricia. So in one of the major towns in East Cork, I would be looking for a safe house. So hopefully, with the unanimous support I got from councillors, that I get the same from officials and that we can start the process.
2: OK, well, well done for getting the ball rolling on this, uh, Mary. Congratulations to you uh, on that because it's it's something that needs so badly to be done. Listen, thank you for that and thanks uh, for joining us this morning.
3: Thank you very much, Patricia. Thank you. Good
2: morning to you. That is East Cork uh, Councillor Mary Lenehan Foley. And Micah says in relation to domestic abuse calls and people ringing on Garda Shia corner uh, telling them that your husband or your wife is beating you physically or is mentally abusing you. Michael says is a waste of time and effort as it might not even be recorded and furthermore a verbal complaint is rarely investigated according to Michael. To make a compla- complaint about domestic abuse you have to make a written complaint. When you do that then the Garda must investigate otherwise it's a waste of time. So if you have a complaint to make about domestic abuse or any other complaint, you need to make it in writing, not verbally. But I'm I'm assuming, Michael, it's the initial phone call when somebody picks up the phone to say, "I need help." Then uh, is that explained? I'm assuming that's explained uh, to the person. And often it's somebody reaching out. And the guard, they have noticed this increase in calls, and it is somebody reaching out who, you know, suddenly has got to the stage where they need help. Because usually, when somebody reaches out, a victim of domestic abuse, it's not that It's just happened in many cases. This has been going on for many months and indeed many years before somebody finally has the courage to say, I need help. 1850 333 103. Thank you for your text, uh, Michael, to 0862 103, 103. Call today on C 103. Call Patricia with your comment.
0: 1850 333
2: 103. And just in a message in from our street fleet on traffic to say, a truck has shed part of its load on the Dunkettle Interchange southbound. The Dunkettle team are working to clear it at the moment, but you need to take care on approach that southbound at the Dunkettle Interchange, a truck, has shed part of its load. Now, the number of households infested with cockroaches and bedbugs has rocketed and it appears to be linked to the easing of restrictions allowing us to go on foreign travel. To find out more I'm joined by Trevor Hayden who runs Complete Pest Control. Good morning to you Trevor.
4: Good morning Patricia how are you?
2: I'm very well I'm, I'm starting to scratch already the very, very <laughs> f- you mentioned bed, bed bugs. Are you saying that people are unwittingly bringing cockroaches and bed bugs back with them from trips overseas is that what's and- happening?
4: Absolutely, absolutely. So we noticed a huge drop-off in activity during lockdown. Um, And it's directly related to the fact that people weren't travelling. And with the increase now of of people going back on foreign holidays, we're starting to see a rise now again in the calls.
2: And is this something that's always happened?
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every summer, we, we would have, from, from about June on, we would have uh, an increase um, in, in the likes of bedbugs and, uh, and cockroaches. And it's purely linked to, to travel.
2: Now, we know what cockroaches uh, look like. How would you know if you had bedbugs?
4: Um, most people, when they call us to deal with a bedbug issue, they, they have never seen the bed bug. Um, on, on, on rare occasions, they would, but they'll see the evidence. So it'd be like jumping into uh, into bed with a mosquito. You'll end up with bites. Now, how how those bites manifest themselves on you is is different. Like you might be different than me. So for some people, swell up like they would if they got bit by a mosquito, and other people, nothing. It's a small little dot on their skin.
2: And how do you how do you deal with the bed bug infestation?
4: Yeah. So the idea, first of all, is that Try be a little bit vigilant when you go away, so you end up don't end up bringing them back. So I know personally, when I go away, the first thing my wife asks me to do is to check the bed. So off I go, and I I check check even all on the holidays, I'm doing my pest control bit, I'm <laughs> checking the bed. Kind okay. <laughs> <laughs> of take can, that kind of takes the romance out of it. I, I, absolutely, away with the wife. listen,
2: I no. think it's great that somebody would come with me and check the bed. So well, so well done. <laughs> so you're checking the bed, and what, and you're looking for what?
4: So a bed bug, most people, when we talk about bed bugs, most people think of those tiny little mites that you'd see under a microscope. Yeah. A, a fully grown adult bed bug looks like an apple pip, That type of size, shape and colour.
0: Okay. So
4: they're quite large. You can quite easily see them with, with your eye. So I'm looking for bed bugs. We're looking for their droppings. So it's like you got a ballpoint pen and made loads of little dots. And that's generally at the corner of, of the mattress or the bed. Um, and also there's a thing called casings. So a bed bug sheds its skin. Like a, the way a snake would, or something like that, and you end up with a small gold kind of coloured. It almost looks like a, a scab, but it's a gold coloured, uh, like skin of the actual bed bug itself.
2: And if you arrive to a hotel abroad, and your wife says, "Off you go there now, Trev. Check the bed for me," and you find that evidence, what you, what what would you do?
4: I'd be straight down to reception. I, would, you? I would not. I would not be staying in that room.
2: Oh, and have you ever had to do that
4: no no. But okay. many many years ago I did accidentally bring one home we were doing a really really bad job and I woke up on a Saturday morning and I noticed a couple of bites on my arm and I'm saying to myself oh no I don't believe it so my wife headed off with the kids to do their activities on a Saturday and I tore the bed apart found the the bed bug and sprayed it and made the bed perfect crime she knew, she knew nothing about it
2: because if you if you bring a, a couple of, I mean, you need to bring a couple of bed bugs back, will you, for them to then take you, off you and? No,
4: one, no. One, one. One, is, oh. one is one too many. You know, it's it's you know, you just these, these guys will look. They, they bite you, so it's really unpleasant. Um, and we've found them. So they're called bed bugs because they bite you, and obviously when you're in bed. But in reality, they live in and around the bed. So we've found them inside of alarm clocks, bedside lockers, you know, the wall floor junction. So, but more often than not, the, those hiding spots are not taken up until the good hiding spots, which are the easy hiding spots, which is on the mattress and the headboard. But when, it, when they're all gone, then they'll move to other, other
2: spots. OK, but that's where you're most likely to find them. Yeah. And you you also offer good advice on how we can protect ourselves. And, and I realised when I was reading this uh, yesterday uh, that this is the mistake I make. As soon as I arrive into a hotel room, I have to unpack immediately. You say that's the wrong thing to do
4: yeah a lot of hotels will have those little stands that you put your suitcase on yeah. and they're usually over, that's what's used don't don't throw, don't be throwing your, your your bag up onto the bed because what happens there is if there is a problem, what happens is the bed bugs can then get into your suitcase um or if you go away on the, on the continent somewhere a lot of those beds don't have a a solid bed base they're raised up off the ground I'll, I know before I got involved in pest control, I was guilty of it. We used to unpack the, 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 the suitcase and we'd throw the suitcase under the bed. Yeah, for the to time. keep
2: it out of the way and nice and tidy for the yeah, duration but, of your stay.
4: Exactly. So now you have a situation where the, if there is bed bugs there, you've just put in a bag right beside where they are.
2: So what, what are you suggesting? Live, live out of your suitcase for the week? No, 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 absolutely. Unpack, put all your stuff away, zip
4: up your suitcase, and put it over okay. in the corner of the room, away from the actual bed.
2: Okay, talk to me about cockroaches now. Is, is it easy to end up with a cockroach infestation?
4: Really easy. Oh, cool. Really so, and again, it's down to the suitcase. So I know what we used to do was you go away, you'd put a suitcase in the, in the corner of the room with the flap lifted up, and that was your dirty suitcase. It was like the dirty linen basket. And as you use your shorts and your T-shirts, you used to fire them all in there. But that suitcase would be open for the duration of, of your stay. And again, something you just literally walk in.
2: And then you bring them home with you.
4: Yeah, like I, we, we collected some. We're always collecting cockroaches just to monitor them and see, you know, the activity and stuff. We, we, on a job last week, we, we got a, a female cockroach out and she had the egg sac. And on Friday, the egg sac dropped, which she dropped off the cockroach. So it was sitting in the, in the jar that we had. And on Monday when we came in, over the weekend, what had happened was that egg had hatched. And we had about fifty babies come out of the one egg.
2: Easy to get an infestation in your yeah. house, then, isn't it, is it? Really quickly. Okay, really quickly. so so you you guys arrive, and then you can control it and sort it out. Is that what happens?
4: Yeah, look, rats and mice and stuff like that, you know, some people are quite happy to, to ring us and we give advice over the phone and they're 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 maybe doing something slightly wrong and they get advice from us and they can solve the problem themselves. With the likes of cockroaches and bed bugs, you you need the professional touch. You really need someone that that knows what they're doing.
2: Yeah, yeah. And what outside of as you say and you saw a decrease in costs because people weren't travelling abroad. So what other kind of costs were you getting during the pandemic out of interest?
4: Yeah, so our job is, is very seasonal. So at the moment, we're coming towards the end of all the ants and wasps. Um, so, you know, that's going to change now. The weather, you can see it changing already, especially at nighttime. It's getting a little bit cooler. So we're going to come back into the, the rat and mouse season. So the, the old rats and mice, they don't want to be outside any more than you and I do in the cold. So they're going to start now looking for places, nice warm place to spend the winter. Um, so every season brings something new for us it's it's a
2: great job so now is the time for all of us as householders to keep a look at ways that a mouse or or worse a rat can get into your house
4: yeah like they're not going to target your home but they are opportunists so if, if there's a gap, like if you have a, a broken vent if you on your house, if you have a raised floor downstairs, there's going to be a vent at the front and the back of your house to let airflow go through. And a lot of the times those vents get broken and that's how mice get in then under it or a gap around a pipe or, you know, just generally they're, they're lazy. So we, when we're checking the pre- premises, it's kind of from hip height, chest height down. You're looking for gaps around pipes, small little holes, you know, stuff like that. And by blocking them up, you know technically, if you were to block them with expanding foam, technically a, a, a rat or a mouse could eat through that, but if they if they do you'll you'll have seen that they have you know that way, but they're, they're not going to okay all right
2: oh, I'll have to go I'm scratching already I <laughs> obviously nothing scares you, does it and um, no. no the only one that kind of gives me even to this day I
4: kind of if it's a really bad bed book job, you kind of do walk away from it scratching a little bit yeah,
3: you can't um, help
2: it.
4: Yeah, that's just that's just interesting because some some ones you see, um, like God, oh, you do feel sorry for the client because it does be
2: really really bad. And it can happen so quickly as well, and so so yeah. so, so easily. Okay, so your company is Complete Pest Control, and you're you're nationwide, are you? Um, oh Trevor? We are. We're yeah, we're nationwide. Yeah. Okay. Listen, thank you for that. Enjoyed our ch- chat and All stay right. safe. Been a, been a pleasure. Thanks Look well. after yourself. Bye bye, right. bye. That All is right. uh, Trevor Hayden of Complete Pest Control. Be very careful, folks. When you're going away on holidays, you don't want to bring back any extra passengers some nasty passengers that you don't want to be bringing home with you Morning Patricia I worked in hotels I do the exact same thing that Trevor recommended when I'm away it really is a job for housekeeping to check the beds every day the beds should be checked and they should be sprayed but what Trevor said is absolutely right put your bag on the stand you know when you go into the hotel room and the stand is there and we do have a tendency see if you have more than one bag one will go on the stand and you throw the other one up on the bed it, but that's all learn that's something we've learned today leave it on the stand and then zip it up immediately afterwards so that nothing can get into it 1850 333 103 bernie's taking your calls today you can text her whatsapp to 0862 103 103 hi patricia says a texter i had a friend who recently had to go and clear out three bedrooms in her house due to an infestation of moths. And by the way, nobody was abroad. Yeah? They're your good old-fashioned Irish moths. Uh, and when moths get into a house, they really can do a lot of problem if you don't spot them in time. And it sounds like with a, um, an infestation, they like get into three bedrooms. That was a big, big problem indeed. And somebody else, while we're on the whole subject of bedbugs and cockroaches and moths and spiders, somebody said has anybody else noticed that there's a huge amount of daddy long legs this year? Anybody else notice that? A huge amount of daddy long legs. I have to say I spotted a spider in my house yesterday that was ginormous I don't think I've ever seen a spider so big but I think that's is that very much the time of the year we start to see more spiders at this time of the year Has anybody else noticed that? And lots of daddy long legs. 1850 333 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103, 103 And I have to say I was taken aback listening to Barry on the news there to hear of the death of Billa O'Connell May He rests in peace. What a gorgeous, gorgeous man uh, Billa was. And I was privileged and honoured over the years to have interviewed uh, Billa. And so many times he would join us in studio and there'd always be a bit of excitement when we knew Billa was coming down because he was just such a gentleman. And we spoke many times about pantomimes in Cork and he used to love... uh, reminiscing about old times in Cork and things that happened to him and uh, we still love talking about the summer revels that he was so much a, a part of and actually that he ran he was so much a part of that annual variety show and he was the brainchild behind it and he ran it I think, for nearly, for nearly uh, two decades and always coming up to Christmas always th- I always used to think of Billa and we'll always continue to think of Billa at Christmas probably because of the pantomime but also he was a Christmas day baby and he still loved the fact of talking about that he was born on Christmas day so to all of his uh, family who must be absolutely heartbreaking, heartbroken today and indeed I think anyone in the entertainment field in Cork all of the people who would have been involved in pantomimes over the years people who would have worked with uh, Billa and then people who just would have looked up to Billa the younger cast coming up would know the legend that was uh, Billa O'Connor. He's, he was a lovely, lovely man, and I said, "As I say, an absolute gentleman." Whenever we uh, met him, uh, so uh, rest in peace, uh, Bill. So sad uh, to hear that news there at eleven with uh, Barry. Eighteen fifty-three, three-three-one-zero-three. We were talking about bed bugs. And cockroaches and spiders in the last hour. That's prompted some commentary in from people. Mike in Bantry says um, I've noticed spiders somebody else they've noticed a lot of daddy long legs around at the moment. Mike in Bantry is obviously a person who knows about spiders. He says the reason that you're spotting so many spiders at the moment are spiders are mating. They mate the first two weeks in September and I did not know that. Mike says I don't brush the cobwebs away. Why? Because I like spiders. Well done Mike. They do a lot of good in In the garden and outside the house and in the cow sheds, says Mike. So he has great respect for spiders. A lot of people are scared. I'm not scared of spiders, though. I can't say I'm scared of spiders. But just there was this very large one that I spotted in the house uh, yesterday. And then on bed bugs, uh, Heidi, zero in bed bug killer spray you can buy it online I always keep a can of it in the house I worked in hotels in the UK and when you work in hotels you'll know the risk from these little creatures (laughs) so zero in bed bug killer spray if you're looking for it in somebody else sent in a text I'm scratching all over driving the car listening to you I know why. what is it that as soon as we start to talk about bed bugs are Cockroaches or any kind of spiders, you start scratching, and I think the worst one. And now that I'm thinking of it, I'm going to start scratching. Is whenever we talk about head lice, and whenever over the years I've done interviews on head lice, you know, every now and again there'll be you'll hear about schools getting kind of infestation of head lice, and every second child in the classroom will have head lice, and the dreaded note goes home to say there's been an outbreak of head lice in your child's classroom, and. And I'm assuming that that still happens today. Do those notes still go home? And then how do you deal with it? And I have to say, as a child growing up, I can hand put my hand up and say, I never got head lice. I had a sister then who had really gorgeous thick hair. And maybe that was the reason she, if there was head lice in the school, my sister Paula would inevitably come home and she would have them. And I kind of had very sort of thin hair, poor hair. In comparison to her. I never once picked up head lice and we had that that comb that my mother used to use, that creamy coloured comb, a fine tooth comb, was that what it was called? And you'd go down through it. And then there was some sort of a conditioner or a lotion that we used to, was put that, that mum used to put in our hair. Was it every week or every two weeks during the school terms? I can't remember. And that was meant to get rid of it. It was called Colette. I do remember that because I have another sister called Colette and we used to say that this product was named after her. But it was some kind of a lotion that was just put into your hair and it prevented um, head lice. I don't know how it's dealt with today but it is certainly. It's a scourge when it happens. And as I say, I'm starting to scratch now the very fact that I'm talking uh, about it. 1850 333 103 Martin in West Cork says, Hi Patricia what are the real reasons why electricity petrol gas prices and everything is going up is it abuse of the position of the oil companies are they putting up the price are they taking advantage of the position I am wondering and that's from Martin in West Cork well oil prices I know at the moment one of the main reasons that they say that oil prices are going up and of course once oil prices go up the knock on effect you know for motorists that goes up but everything else goes up gas goes up your home Heating oil, everything goes up with it. The global demand for, cr- for crude oil has increased, and that's to do with economies reopening. As everybody started to reopen after a lockdown, there was a huge demand for crude uh, oil. And that obviously the knock on then was that Irish petrol and diesel prices went up, and you could really see those rising throughout the summer months. And I know back in August of this year, I remember reading about it, there was a diplomatic row going on between the two Arab nations who are make up the uh, OPEC the organisation of the petroleum exporting uh, countries and they had the, this series uh, I don't know what the diplomatic row was about but I remember reading about it and we were told that if this doesn't get sorted out soon the price of a barrel of oil is going to keep going up and up and up so no doubt that's probably part of it as well but one of the main reasons that we're paying more at the moment is this global demand for crude oil seemingly when businesses open up it's easier for businesses to close down but when they start to reopen they there's a huge demand for crude oil. So that is one of the reasons for sure. But yes, everybody is noticing that uh, anything to do with fuel uh, certainly is on the increase. 1850 103 Back to the issue we started the programme with from next Monday. The changes to the way children are to be deemed a close contact of a confirmed case in school. They now will no longer from next Monday be required to restrict their movement for 10 days, which is the way it is at the moment. Hi, Patricia. The coverage on the media for the last couple of weeks has all been about the 12,000-odd Children who are off school because they've been deemed close contacts. That schools and parents were finding it so disruptive as most of the kids were well and were sent home and then all tested negative. Now, the government, along with Neffert, have listened and reviewed it and they've removed the need now for non symptomatic kids to stay out of school. And the first interview I heard on the news was somebody saying, It's ridiculous, the numbers will rise. Look, you just can't win. And it's no surprise the public get confused with unbalanced reporting. If NEFIT deem it safe, it means they've reviewed it, they've risk assessed it and that's why they're making their recommendations. Let's give it a go and see, does it work? People complaining that rules change, of course rules will change. The virus changes and various factors mean rules would change without them we'd all be still in lockdown. That's a very measured and well put together uh, text. Uh, thank you for that. And you are right. And that's uh, and I did say that when I was responding to some of the criticism from the rule change from next Monday. I can't think of anything that Neffert has done since this pandemic began where they made a recommendation where they've had to come back and say we were wrong on that recommendation. They're very measured in their response and they do look at all the facts and they get together all of the data before they make their decision. So, yes, you're right. And if anything, never have been accused of acting too slow because they wait to get in all of the data. Uh, thank you for your text. Patricia, if they plan to change the safety measures regarding close contacts in school, then maybe it's time for all children to start wearing masks in primary school to protect the staff and their other little classmates. It may also be a good time to start introducing rapid antigen testing for close contacts. This could be done with that, with, throughout the incubation period. This would also help to reduce the spread. Yeah, I I have to say I'm, I'm a big advocate for the antigen testing, but that's something that Nefit never- always say no to and they've said no to it again and I've heard that view been put forward if, if, the, if you're not going to be a close contact you're not asking the close contacts to self-isolate could they not introduce some kind of antigen testing and you can buy antigen tests yourself if you want to but of course if they, if they were to be introduced by Neffet and if the government were introduce, introduce them to schools then they would have to be given out for free so there it could be something to do with cost as well even though I don't think Neffet would look at the cost side of it that certainly is not within their brief but they've always been against the antigen testing and I know Neffert once again looked at only up to last week they came out they looked at primary school Children wearing masks, and they once again ruled against it, even though it does happen in other countries. But they have ruled against it because they feel it's it's going to be too tough, particularly on some of the younger children. But they have left it for individual choices for parents. If you prefer your child to wear a mask, then of course you are entitled to do that. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Hi, Patricia. Would you please feature? The rollout plan for high-speed fibre broadband on your programme. I've received the latest update from the rollout plan yesterday. Again, West Cork has been left behind compared to, among others, our very near neighbours Kerry. Most of West Cork have now been told an anticipated connection date for high-speed fibre broadband is from January 2025 whereas large areas of Kerry have been given a date of 2023, two years ahead of their near neighbours in West Cork. Some, by the way, are already ready to connect. Lucky them. That's data coming in, says this texter from the National Broadband Ireland. Uh, you should. I'm wondering, any of the local politicians in West Cork will be all over that? Like a rash, I would suggest contacting some of the local politicians, I mean that certainly isn't good enough because when you think of West Cork and how close West Cork is to Kerry, it seems very unfair that you can have people in Kerry able to get high speed fibre broadband and they've had to wait and people, except if you live in a rural area, some of these services are going to take some time to come and people have been uh, very good about waiting and very understanding and very, you know, but and to know it's coming, you think, OK, if I know it's coming in 2023, I just have to put up with the slow broadband I'm getting at the moment. But to now be told that your neighbours in Kerry will get it in 2023, but you've got to wait another two years. That is really, really galling. Uh, indeed, as I say, I would be a bit surprised to see local, the local TDs in West Cork pick up on this and uh, try to make... Some kind of a, a hoo ha with the National Broadband Ireland to see if they can progress it any quicker. 1850 103. Bernie taking your calls. C103 jobs. Windmill Nursing Care Centre. They're recruiting for an experienced registered nurse, please. Jackie is your contact on 022. 59067 a food catering assistant is required that's for a catering company in the Temple area CV's please to info at elitecuisine.ie Cycle Scene Bike Shop there on the Blarney Road in Cork They're looking for a part-time bicycle mechanic slash sales advisor. You need to email cyclescene at gmail.com and an experienced labour is wanted for work in the Little Island area. CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go... To c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103.
0: You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment.
2: 086 Now the Geary family from Ballyhooley in North Cork are well known to us here on the programme. In the main because of their gorgeous twin boys Callum and Dunica. Parents Andrew and Helen have campaigned long and hard to make sure that Callum who was born profoundly deaf would have the very same options and choices in life as his hearing brother. But sadly their campaign for an equal Equal life path continues. Dad Andrew joins me to outline the current difficulties that are facing at uh, young Callum. Good morning to you, Andrew. Good morning. Patricia. And and you're very welcome to the
0: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at Blue Nile dot com have got sparkled down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
2: programme. The twins are now 12 which is hard to believe where have those 12 yeah. years uh, gone. Time flies by. So it is time for secondary school. Now, Donica moved on this month to secondary school but Callum hasn't.
5: No, no. Callum um, uh, had to stay back one or two years but Patricia, because he wasn't making... The academic milestones for that year and it's it's difficult when one twin brother goes on to secondary school. I know they've gone to different primary schools and have been in different classes, but it's hard when you know your two kids are equally bright and Callum as uh you know, the whole nation got to see. He's a savagely intelligent boy and just it's just uh it's um, soul destroying that uh, he pause button after pause button is impressed in his life that's completely out of his and Oh, sometimes I feel it's completely out of all of our control.
2: And throughout primary school, um, Andrew, could you clearly see that Callum wasn't at the same level as Dunicard? Or when did you start, as a family, did you start to see that?
5: Um, in first class, definitely by first class, because that as was As soon the, as that? Yeah, it's just, as I... I, I I think I might have said it to you and your listeners before I discovered the work of Mark Marshak, who is the primary deaf education expert on the planet. And he's become a firm friend and supporter. And he came to Ireland in 2008 and did a study. And after reading his book, I knew that uh, things weren't right. And But again, you, you wait and you have... Uh, you know, we're all patient as parents. And uh, just But by the time that that kind of that year kicked in I, we were just beginning to see that Donica was you know wide, miles and miles uh, ahead and that was despite some brilliant teaching and brilliant work by Helen at home
2: and okay Donica went to a local national school and Callum yeah. goes to a to a special school uh, for, for the deaf yes but the problem is that what Callum needs is a one on one Sign language interpreter is is that that's the it. simple solution
5: yeah that's a simple solution. He needs someone that's fully fluent and the same as any one person learning a language. you've to learn that from the best. You can't learn that from someone that has only got a leading sort level in that language, and you need someone that has become at one with that language and that has that at a level eight, at a degree level at the very very least, and that's what we expect of everyone within our education system but sadly that, that position is, is lacking and has been lacking for over 100 years in our deaf education system and it's there in the Irish Sign Language Act of 2017 which was led by a 40 year campaign by the Irish Deaf Society and the deaf community and Cahirlik of the Shannon, Mark Daly who pioneered that from 2013 and it was knocked back a few times that act was commenced last December by President Michael D. Higgins, and still it's sitting on a shelf, totally unimplemented. Section 5 of that Act that I helped write, uh, I was there for two years on my own time and own expense, up and down to Dublin every week, drafting that legislation, and look Mark Daly, asked me actually to lead the education section of the discussions with the Department of Education, and it's just soul-destroying that, all that Trojan effort we you know, we celebrated in the 14th of December 2017, thinking that this was now our our cornerstone of our son's future. And then we wait for the act to be commenced. It was given three years, so every department was given three years to ready itself, health, education and justice mainly. And um, sadly, a lot of people just didn't catch up and uh, it's just uh, soul destroying, really.
2: And it's it's coincidental that we're talking to you this week because this is Sign Language Awareness Week, isn't it? And yeah, um, is, and yeah.
5: internationally all around. Yeah,
2: it's an it's an, it's, an, it's an international uh, week, and of course, many children who are have been born deaf in in the last number of years will have access to things like uh, cochlear uh, implants. Yeah, so they end up developing some level hearing of and hearing. Yeah. 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 But that as we know uh, from this program because you were on so many times yourself and Helen talking about Callum and we remember talking about the bionic ear and everyone yeah. was very excited yeah. about it but obviously that wasn't to be. Never, never for. worked. No. So, no, so it so it struck me when I was thinking about you coming on the program today there how many children are like Callum where they are profoundly deaf and a tra- and a, an implant is not going to work.
5: Minister, Norma Foley, actually gave a a short address to the Irish deaf community yesterday and she said 91 and I think the figure is somewhere between 77 and 100. Somewhere in there, depending on who's doing the survey and that.
2: So yeah, so we're not talking about tens of thousands of children that would need an interpreter?
5: uh, Yeah, and a lot of those children are in big centres, like they would be in the School for the Deaf in Limerick or the School for the Deaf in Dublin. Um, and so in Callum school there's only two children one other child and him in the secondary school there might be one other child that would need an interpreter I know there's two or three in Mayo one or two in Donegal the vast majority of those pupils I would say off the top of my head maybe 40 are in Dublin 20 plus are in Limerick and they are in big centres so some interpreters would be able to do a whole class of uh, numerous children together and some of uh, like again, having pr- again, it would be by degree. Callum is the one percent of the one percent that he will never hear, never have any spoken English, and some first sign language users may have a little bit of English or may understand a little bit of English or may have lost hearing and stuff like that. So, but um, it's been an uphill battle, and you've been there, and your listeners have been there since day one. In fairness to them, and we've got immense support, but it's it's uh, it's. It's burnout it's, zone now at the moment, yeah, to be honest.
2: It's, it's it's great and it's fantastic to have that support and and it's brilliant, but it when it's when when the your child is stuck and you know, all the support in the world and, and unless you get the right support with the practical support, which is an interpreter sitting in the And classroom. they're not looking
5: for much. You see, the, yeah. we, there was a few children around the country did get those interpreters through SNA contracts or through grants, but a lot of the time those people didn't have maternity cover didn't have holiday pay and they were four-year degree holders, a very, very tough degree, very high failure and dropout rate from the interpreting degree at Trinity College Dublin. It's the highest of the high. The standards are absolutely of the highest standards to get through there and that just tells you what's needed to become a sign language interpreter and um, a lot of them were working for minimum wage and a lot of them through their passion and love for the deaf community and deaf children do it for a few years and then they can't afford to do it anymore. They might want to buy a house or have children That's and understandable. Uh, and they have been more than more than compromising. They've explained to the Department of Education, I sent the papers forward myself in twenty eighteen. They're only looking for twenty eight, twenty nine thousand euros rather than twenty four thousand euros. So the change is very small between an entry salary. These people after all are college degree holders who have first class honours or two ones to, to become in sign language interpreters and it's a very difficult job. A yeah, very yeah. difficult job. Yeah, and so I think, demanding. you know,
2: it's so, all so demanding. To all of when Neffert were doing their daily press briefing, yeah. I think people really got to see how uh, and what a beautiful language it is. Do to watch oh, yeah. the yeah. sign, the the yeah. people who were signing was was just uh, incredible. What? Um, okay, you've obviously been knocking on the door of the Department of Education almost since the, yeah, since the six boys started now. school. What What do they say to you when you put forward what is? It seems like a very simple request.
5: You get pause button after pause button because the only person who has the power to implement this position is the Minister for Education, Alma Foley, who is a very good person. And you need—it's a new position—and to get a new position created within the Department of Education, I had to send in a lot of FOIs and GDPRs this year to understand. And now I know exactly the whole stream of thought around this, especially as it applies to Callum and our specific case. And um, it's just, uh, you've got a lot of brilliant legislators in this country, Patricia, but unfortunately, you have seen it over many years. You're hitting a brick wall as the parent of a special needs disabled child, and it's just, they just want to break you down, and I don't think that's our legislators. I think there's brilliant people. I have I know Minister David Stanton as a personal friend, Sean Shurrock as Minister for Equality. Again, he did fantastic work, and... But I, I just, the pause button is coming somewhere and they just don't want to open the door. And it breaks my heart. Just, you know, just, like I was on the phone to a parent in Wexford on Sunday morning. And again, you know, she's fighting all her life for her 17-year-old son and can't, just can't get services. And it's almost like they just wait for you to disappear. And um, But unfortunately for me, um the way I'm programmed, unfortunately. Mm. Thank God, I, 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 thank I, yeah, God. I, yeah, and it, you
2: and uh, you look at Callum every day, so you know why you're doing it. You yeah, you well, absolutely
5: know it, why you're doing it. But again, like that, someone said to me recently, and they're telling the truth. You're you're, you're not you're not his father anymore. You're his campaigner and mm. advocate, and that's sad. You know, like that. That you know, it, it's 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 very difficult. And I have um, we have a history in this country of self-sacrifice, where our country and our freedom is built on. People that sacrificed themselves from Daniel O'Connell coming through to, you know, Charles Stuart Parnell, the 1916 leaders, John Redmond in there and Michael Collins. And they they did not create this country to not cherish the children equally. I would say they're turning in their graves. Our democracy, you look at the word republic, that means public affairs. This is an affair of Our country and our country is denying citizenship, not alone to Callum, but to Helen and me and all the other carers, advocates that are driving this across the country. We're all being denied citizenship. Like, I just hope, Patricia, someone like Vicky Phelan comes out of the woodwork to lead us into the promised land because we need someone that we can look up to and say, listen, enough is enough. These people are citizens of our state. These children are wanted. These people. And if they want sacrifice, they can have me. I've nearly been killed on the line of duty to honour my country. And I'm humbled to wear that uniform every day. If they want, I've given my life for our democracy and nearly lost it once or twice for our democracy. And this is the thanks I get from my son. And this this hundreds and thousands of other people out there are doing this, are doing ten times more to me. I am not... Worthy to tie the shoelaces of most of the carers in this country, not even worthy to tie their bootlaces. But why? Why is this our democracy? Why is this our citizenship? I just can't understand this. We're going to have to risk everything now.
2: And we, ha- and we have a we have a constitution that says that we will tre- we will treasure all the children, cherish all the children,
5: and that that that's. And, brilliant words, we signed up for UNCRC, UNCRPD it's in section 24, the education section about sign languages but sweet words I hear a lot of the time, I get lovely letters and stuff like that telling me it's coming, it's coming and like that I just want to get back to being a father just yeah. want to get back to um, having a family um, and, and we risk everything but Callum
2: is 12 he needs an education yeah. and, and you know yeah. time runs out um, uh, as well and I actually I thought of young Callum yesterday when I was reading the report um, showing that people in this country with a disability have one yeah. of the lowest employment rates yeah. in the EU and young Callum already worries about getting a job and he's only 12 yeah well
5: he, he knows like we insulate him from this. He's a very happy child. Patricia loves his teacher, loves his school because there's brilliant people in Saint Columbus. He adores the greatest days. He just loves Christmas time and summertime. Bringing that present into the teacher to say thanks for the whole year. He just just adores that school. Adores and those teachers have been teaching with one hand tied behind their back. And but again, he knows his in his own mind that. He has, He wants to be a designer, a car designer, an architect. Is his dream going to be realised if this? If we don't face up and give him access to his education? No. Or else he's going to have to work ten times harder than everyone else to achieve that. And why should he? Like, that's, like that's not what a, democr- a democracy is about, hard work and dedication, but it's not about two people because as John Young would say, by accident or birth, one is deaf and one is hearing. Oh, Because you're deaf now, you have to work ten times harder to get that job than the person over here that's
2: it's, hearing. That's shocking. Listen, um, Andrew, you're, you're incredible and so is Helen and so are all the boys.
5: And, uh, yeah, and Helen is the hero of this piece, Patricia. I know. Helen did. has spent years and years making sure that his homework is done every evening and making sure that link between the school and home and the most beautiful thing that you're going to see, I just love watching our family sign together or watching any two deaf people sign together, I would urge anyone to go out there and do sign language courses yeah. because you never know when you're going to meet that deaf person on the street and you will see their eyes will light up because you yeah, just, are acknowledged um,
2: as yeah, a person. Just to have a simple conversation, how are you and how are you doing? Listen, Andrew, yeah. it's always a privilege uh, to speak with you and I know we will speak again. In the meantime, look after yourself and uh, Thank thanks you. for joining us. Thanks Go, for your time. Good morning to you. Uh, bye-bye. That is Andrew uh, Geary. Yeah, fantastic man, and of course, you know Andrew would have actually the first time I probably met. Uh, well, the first time we ever met Andrew, he used to do the guard the file here um, on the program uh, many years ago before he moved on. He's in the guard the college now, isn't he? But he's young son, it's just, it's, it's just. Awful. It's just awful the fight and the campaign that the family have had, what they've had to do, and they just seem to be getting nowhere. And as Andrew says, you know, he's one of many, many families who fight on behalf of their children. It is just so wrong. And and I think I find this one particularly frustrating because I think the solution to this one is relatively easy. That's why I was at pains to try to find out how many children are like Callum, where they are profoundly deaf. They've, you know, that they have no hope of getting. Hearing, they can't get the wonderful implants that have been designed, all the various cochlear implants which can give a profoundly deaf child hearing. Unfortunately, that wasn't an option for Callum, which means you know he will never ever be able to hear, he'll never be able to understand a sound or therefore have speech. So it's a small enough number. And if they had one on one sign language interpreter sitting with them in the classroom, the difference it would make to their education. It's just It defies, I just can't understand it. I can't understand why somebody is not seeing the wood from the trees and realising how easy this particular, one little particular problem that is facing somebody with a disability because there's so many other problems which are probably much more harder to solve. But this one to me is just, it's a no-brainer. So well done. Callum is so lucky and indeed all of the Geary kids are so lucky to have somebody like Andrew um, advocating and the wonderful mum, uh, Helen. We wish them well. 1850 333 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C 103.
0: Call Patricia with your comment. Eighteen
2: fifty three 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 one zero three. And we're going to abandon Garda Station for this week's uh, Garda Fire. I'm joined by Sergeant Morgan O'Sullivan. Good morning to you, Morgan. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome. Okay, let's start with something we don't often report, the theft of kayaks. Uh, it was in the Kinsale area.
1: That's correct, correct Patricia. Um, the Gardaí Kinsale, Gardaí are investigating the theft of two kayaks uh, from the Oyster Haven area, which occurred between Saturday the 21st of August and Wednesday the 25th of August. Um, these kayaks are described as adult kayaks, which are blue and white in colour. And there is a distinguishing feature on one of the kayaks in that one of the carrying handles is broken. You know, as your listeners would be aware, um, kayaks are a large item to transport. Mm-hmm. So if anyone knows someone transporting blue and white kayaks that caught their attention in, in Oyster Haven or the surrounding area between the 21st and the 25th of August, or indeed they've been offered the sale of such items in recent weeks, the guardy sale would appreciate a call. Um, actually, in a separate but similar theft, Um, which also occurred at the end of last month, between Tuesday the 24th and Monday the 30th of August, there was three kayaks taken from Ratmore Kinsale. And these consisted of two double kayaks, which were, again, were blue and white in colour, and also a single kayak, which was green and white in colour. And as in the previous case, these were sit-on kayaks, and again, the Guardian Kinsale are investigating this incident.
2: And you would assume, Morgan, more than likely they will try to sell these on. is not that the likeliest thing that will happen. We would assume yeah. so.
1: And there have been a number of instance, uh, separate these as well where kayaks um, have been stolen in the West Cork area. While not too common, it has occurred on a few occasions during the summer.
2: Yeah, so if you're offered a bargain by kayak, you need to stop and think, why are you being offered it so reasonably uh, priced? OK, yeah. theft of a puppy. This happened in Dunbanmoye.
1: That's correct, say, yes. uh, the Guardian de Manway are investigating the theft of a puppy from the baden area, which took place between the 10th and 11th of this month. Um, I was last year we saw the escalation of incidents relating to theft of dogs, and unfortunately these types of incidents are still taking place. Um, the pup stolen in this incident was a husky cross with a German shepherd, and the description of the dog on the date of the theft was a male puppy, seven weeks old, and was black, fawn and tan in colour and if anyone did observe any activity on the night of the 10th of September into the 11th of September and has any information that might be of benefit to the investigating Gardaí I would ask him to contact the Guardian in Dunmanua.
2: Okay seven weeks old that's a very young uh, pup and people need to be so careful if you're buying a pup where Absolutely. you're buying your, your pups uh, from. Now there was a robbery in Ballonhasic and you're putting out a further appeal on this. This is back to the 9th of September.
1: That's correct, Felicia. It was um, the day of our last guard file, actually, which yourself and the Guardian band are appealing to the public for information in relation to this robbery, which took place at the post office in baden on that Thursday, the 9th September. Um, was shortly before 4 pm, two mass men entered the post office section of the shop in baden hassick and demanded a sum of money. Um, one of these men was armed with a shotgun, and the second was armed with a machete. Um, these men fled uh, the scene in a grey Citroen C3 vehicle, which is is believed to have been driven by a third male. Now, the suspect offenders um, drove in the direction of Sport Hill and Liberty Hill. Um, and at approximately 4:20 p.m., the grey Citroen C3 vehicle was located alight in a field near Sport Hill. Now, you are appealing to anyone who may have witnessed this incident to come forward. Anyone who was on the Sport Hill Road in Banagher between 3:45 P.M. and four thirty P.M. on Thursday afternoon is asked to contact the investigating gardaí. Okay. I maybe also anyone who may have been have seen the, the Citroen C3 light on Sport Hill is also asked to contact the gardaí. Right. And any road users who are travelling on the Sport Hill Road who may have camera including dash cam footage is asked to make it available to gardaí. And no, obviously no. this was a very frightening everybody. Yeah, absolutely for anyone,
2: the for, 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 and for the staff but as we absolutely. often say to people even the smallest piece of information what may, may seem very incidental to somebody might just be the one piece the one vital link that you're looking for It would
1: be and it, it, we, if people can contact either Ben the or indeed the Gara confidential line on 1800 666 111 or any Gara station for that matter, in relation to
2: this case. OK, some advice now for third-level students. Firstly, some uh, safety advice, um, students returning to uh, college. This is to do with Campus Watch.
1: That's right, Campus Watch is uh, it's similar to, I suppose, a residential neighbourhood watch scheme that we have in local areas, um, and it is a crime prevention and community safety programme, and it operates in partnership with Ungar Chikana and all college campuses across the country. Um, and It works on the premise that every individual who is present on a college campus can help to improve the quality of life on site by keeping a lookout for students, staff, all visitors to the campus, and by reporting any suspicious activity to the Gardaí. And just maybe to leave, make your listeners aware that any of your listeners who might be heading to college or any of your listeners who have children starting college for the first time, that there are Campus Watch Liaison Guardi in every part of the country, and their role is to provide you with any assistance should you need our services.
2: It's kind of a little bit like Neighbourhood Watch but they're just doing it on campus.
1: Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Just for the benefit of everyone who either visits or walks or studies on the various campuses around the country and just if somebody is and feels they need the assistance there is a guard liaison attached
2: to every college Okay so contact them um, uh, and actually tomorrow we're going to be ta- speaking with students because we have an accommodation crisis unfortunately uh, for students and people are, are desperately scrambling to either find a property to rent or a room uh, to rent People need to be careful because Criminals Morgan are aware of the crisis and there's a lot of scams doing the rounds
1: There is indeed Patricia and I suppose your listeners are well aware I suppose, at this stage of the level of attempted frauds that are currently taking place in various forms, including text messages, phone calls, emails, and I know that you, your own programme has highlighted this, this issue on many occasions, um, but I might just mention one type of fraud today that, and it ties in with the previous topic in relation to Campus Watch, and that is accommodation fraud, like you said, and we are inviting people to be very wary um, of rental scams, particularly in relation to students returning to college, and just figures that we have available to us um, from February 2019 to May 2021, that there was over 500 cases of rental scams reported to the Gardaí in this country. And just bear in mind that the number of incidents declined during the COVID-19 restrictions, mm-hmm. but there was still over 900,000 stolen in rental scams over this period. Incredible. And 42% of the injured parties were under 25 years of age. So uh, a large uh, proportion of, of the, um, the people who became victims were young people. Um, and just maybe to, what we would say, a red flag or warning signs for people to be conscious of, is that when the landlord is unable to meet you or to show you the property in person, um, also if when communication is only through text or WhatsApp or some other social media platform, and also when the, the property is offered with no questions asked about the tenants and payment of demands immediately, we would see them as red flags or warnings. And we just, maybe the following three points are we just, uh, briefly go through as a checklist to never agree to rent a property without first having the opportunity to view it. Do not hold, hand over cash, insist on a proper receipt and ensure that the keys that you're being given work on the property and that you have proper contact details for the landlord or the agent. And mm-hmm. it just follow these steps really just as a safety to decrease the, the chance of being caught mm-hmm. because as the figures outlined there in the previous two years Numerous people have. Yeah, uh, and these
2: criminals are aware of the desperation of people as well, Morgan. Absolutely. And they'll play on that.
1: That, that drives people need to get accommodation even quicker and then they're playing on that as you say OK
2: all right listen Morgan thank you for that we'll speak again but thanks for joining us this thank morning you very much good much. morning to you that Bye. is Sergeant Morgan O'Sullivan based at Guard, the station <laughs> listening to Barry Omani there giving us the news at 12 midday he mentioned a campaign it's called Bikes for Africa and he was talking about it with regards to the Rotary Club in the city but actually the Rotary Club in Mallow have been in contact with the programme to say they're also involved in this Bikes for Africa scheme actually it's a project that has been in the county has been supported by Cork uh, County Council and the idea is that they're asking people if you have an old bike at home a bike maybe that's out in the shed that once upon a time you used it or maybe somebody a son or a daughter in the household used it and they are now flown the nest and the bike is there and every time you go out to the shed to get something you're moving the bike out of the way thinking I must do something with that bike well that's exactly what they're looking for They're looking for old bikes that are no longer in use. And they tell us that by sending a bike out to people in Africa and it's people in Gambia is where these bikes are going. They can actually transform the life of somebody living in uh, in Africa. So if you have an unused bike in your garage that you would like to pass on, it could be a life changing event for a student in the Gambia. Now, if it's in need of some repair, Don't worry about it because they're going to take donations of the bikes. The bikes then are going to be passed on to the Irish Prison Service and a number of the open prisons like Lachlan House Open Centre, they're going to do a full refurbishment on the bike. So what are they looking for? They're looking for strong bicycles because obviously you're thinking about it these bikes are going out to the Gambia for students to get students to school and to college or to work Uh, so they're on very rough terrain, they don't have wonderful smooth roads like we have uh, here so good strong bikes bikes that would suit both primary and secondary school students it needs to have a minimum of 24 inch wheel size and as I say just in reasonable repair but don't worry if it's punctured or there's a little bit missing the chain is a bit broken or a bit rusty That's the kind of work that they can do when they get it onto the prison service and uh, they'll get working on bringing them back up to as near perfect condition as uh, possible. And the availability of a bicycle can actually increase the chances of a student in the Gambia actually going to school. You just forget what an old bike sitting in your shed, the difference it can make to a student that it will end up being passed on to. So strong, sturdy bikes, please. Obviously, racing you know, the old racing bicycles, I don't know how many of those are still doing the rounds with the narrow wheels. They're not suitable because it just simply won't stand up to the terrain in the Gambia. And obviously, children's bikes with stabilisers, they're not suitable uh, either. Now, if you have a bicycle, what can you do with it? You can drop it to any of our civic amenity sites in North Cork. So, Mallow Civic amenity site. Can Turk Civic Immunity Site and Mill Street Civic Community Site they're all accepting the bicycles. Now I'm just looking on the press release I received there isn't a close off date on this but I imagine they're, they're trying to get working on this as quick uh, as they possibly can. So if you have a bike please go into Mado. CanTurk our Mill Street civic amenity uh, sites and as I say the students in the Gambia you could absolutely transform their lives which is a fantastic thing to do. Now some of your commentary coming into the programme uh, Andrew Geary who we spoke with who was telling us about his son Callum and the problems facing Callum as he strives to get an education and what he needs is his own signed interpreter somebody who will sit beside him and sign to him because sign language is young Callum's first language so he needs to have some telling me exactly what is going on in the classroom and the difference that that could make to his uh, education. Well, he was back. Andrew rang us back after the interview because he's just found out that Deputy Donico Leary, TD for Cork South Central, actually asked a question of the Minister for Education this morning and named young Callum about the fact that Callum needs a full time sign language interpreter. So that's brilliant. And that's the more we talk about things like this and more we call out and name Callum and call out the minister and call out the department, maybe eventually, eventually you know like what do they say, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, maybe eventually they'll stop and say yeah we need to do something for this uh, family, so well done to Donnick O'Leary for mentioning that this morning and Noreen in Crookstown was saying that in Kilmurray National School the children there were all taught how to sign the Our Father, how to do it in Irish Sign Language and Noreen reckons that a number of children in Crookstown or in Kilmurray National School have been taught the basics of sign language. Isn't that brilliant? That's such a great thing uh, to do and to learn. And Andrew has often spoken about the joy if they're out anywhere. I mean, obviously, as a family, they're all well able to to do sign language and, you know, and speak to Callum at home. But when they're out anywhere, if somebody stops and is able to do sign language, he said to see his little boy's face light up, that here's somebody that communicates with me, he said it really is an absolute joy. And someone else says, Patricia, where can you learn a sign language? I did a sign language course a number of years ago through the Cork Deaf Association and they actually ran it in the Mercy Centre in Mallow. So certainly if you get on to the Cork Deaf Association they organise sign language courses but I've also seen Irish sign language being taught at night classes you know through any night class courses that run in your local area. So you know when the leaflet comes out or you'll see it in the local in your local paper you'll see a list of all of the various wonderful classes that go on as part of night classes you'll often see sign language being taught there uh, as well. So yeah it's a wonderful wonderful thing to take up and particularly in an evening classes we're coming into the winter months and lots of people like to take on uh, additional skills during the winter months and to learn them so sign language is not a bad one uh, to learn. Good luck with it if you do decide to take it up. And somebody else listen to Andrew says totally agree with what Andrew had to say on the programme Uh, it's what the government do to the carers they do try to break us down says uh, this listener our special needs adults and children are forgotten about and that's obviously somebody who is speaking very much from experience thank you for that couple of people still saddened with the news of the passing of Bill O'Connell his family have um, shared that very sad news uh, with all of us uh, this morning and and people just so, so uh, saddened. And it's his wife, um, Nell, and there's six children and 19 grandchildren and 10 great-grandchildren. And he was proud of each and every one of them. There are ones who are utterly heartbroken today. But some of our listeners, you know, with great fondness remembering uh, Billa. And Bridey in West Cork says Billa is a great loss. Somebody else says uh, the world is a little bit darker today without Billa uh, in it. And actually, I was listening on on our news service. You know, the point was, ma- was made about Billa. You just had to say Billa. You didn't even have to say his surname. And everybody knew exactly who he was and who, who you were talking about. And you, you said his name and you almost straight away smiled when you said his name because if you anyone who was privileged to have met him will know, always in good form. And actually Carmel in Middleton was on to say that Billa used to deliver cakes for Thompsons, and he used to deliver to Carmel's shop, which was in Drawbridge Street at the back of the Savoy. And Carmel said he was always such great fun and was always in good form, and you know any. I remember any time that I would would interview him when we'd be talking he used to absolutely adore if somebody would ring would ring up like that and say oh Bill I remember you when you used to deliver you know like that or when he was working with Beamish and Crawford or if somebody had a story to tell about something that had happened many years ago and his whole face would light up in the studio and he'd be thrilled thrilled that somebody would have remembered something that he had done or a joke that he had told or something funny that he had said he absolutely loved that so he will be Absolutely, it's a big, big loss to Corkin, and, and he will be sadly, sadly missed. You know, not obviously first and foremost by his gorgeous wife and uh, family, but by by so many other people as well, for sure. Eighteen fifty three, three three one zero three. We were talking earlier about the price of petrol and how oil has gone up, and uh, people are talking about that. Paddy and Bandon says, "Morning, Patricia." Paddy remembers back he said it was either March or April of last year going in to get petrol in his car and at the time petrol prices was falling yeah it would have been just before we went into the pandemic uh, Paddy so you are, are right it would have been around March April of uh, 2020 anyway he went in to buy uh, it was a petrol petrol and it had gone down to 1 euro 14.9 cents a lit- litre absolutely fabulous as our Paddy abandoned happy days as he filled up his car with petrol today. He said, "Drove into the same petrol station, and you're now paying one euro fifty-six point nine. That's a rise of over forty cent a litre. What's gone wrong?" I ask. Says uh, Paddy in uh, Bandon. Well, it isn't just here in Ireland. If you even Google the price of oil, this is a worldwide phenomena. Oil prices are rising right across the world. I mean, it's to do with the global demand at the moment for it and also all of the OPEC producers, they simply cannot pump enough supply to meet the growing demand and of course when you get a growing demand like that what happens the price just continues to grow up and it doesn't look like, it does. certainly doesn't look like at the moment that there's any sign of it coming down so we just kind of have to suck it up at the moment and we know as we head into the winter months we know that the price of everything that's linked to the barrel of oil is going to go up like electricity and gas etc. Uh, Sheila was on when we were talking earlier uh, about all things that make you itchy and scratchy Like bed bugs and nits left got a flashback to Back in the 50s and 60s When she was a child and she said when we got nits And she puts in brackets Which was very often <laughs> Our mother used to plaster her head With a, pro- a product Called and I'm open to correction If this is how you pronounce it Sulio S-U-L-I-O Sulio It was Now this is how Sheena describes it. I've never heard of this product before. She said it was like yellow custard and that would be applied to your head and then you'd scrape the dead bugs off with a fine steel comb, which sounds utterly painful, Sheila. Sheila says, I remember my mother then would catch them by hand and she'd crack them between her nails or she'd toss them into the fire. And I think, in a moment of correction, I think if you crack them between a nail and they actually make a cracking sound, that meant that they were alive and you were breaking the egg. Is that, am I right on that? I've, I, I'm have sure some experts told us that before. But does anybody else remember that? What was described as a yellow custard and it was put onto your hair and then the dead bugs were scraped off. And it obviously worked, Sheila did it. 1850, 103. And then when we were talking about insects, somebody said, don't forget about the wasps. There's still a lot of wasps around at the moment. Well, in fairness, Trevor, our pest control expert, did say that up to this cockroach, problem that they've had with people bringing them back from overseas and the bedbugs. He said their most common call was for bees and uh, wasps and he said uh, and this caller said for some strange reason a wasp got inside the leg of my jeans It was only a baby wa- wasp but was still able to sting uh, To sting. and they're kind of dying off at the moment and I always feel when the wasps are dying off they're a bit dozy almost and that's when you are most likely to get a sting so yeah there's a lot of wasps around uh, for sure. 1850 uh, three. I was watching TV at about 10pm says another listener who also got stung and something fell on me it was a baby wasp I got stung I had to use vinegar or cre- I had vinegar I had vinegar or cream at the ready the wasp didn't end their day at 6pm the wasp didn't end their day at 6pm take care so there's wasps out stinging people as well uh, 1850 333 lines open The C103 Cork Diary
5: With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the
0: county see corkcoco.ie.
2: Mallow Active Retirement Group they're holding a fundraising coffee afternoon it's in native of Marymount uh, hospital. It's on this afternoon in the Arches Bar and it's from 2 pm. All are welcome to please support Marymount Hospice. And that drive through coffee day, also again in aid of Marymount, is going ahead at Sumter Roaches House, Ballybeg in Mitchellstown. It's on until 9 pm tonight. All are welcome. Dollar weekly lotto draw that goes ahead four o'clock this afternoon. Local community office with a jackpot of three thousand four hundred euro. And the Kanturk Dementia Cafe resumes today on Google Meets. This between two and three this afternoon. If you want the link, please contact Kevin Quaid at kevinquaid nine at gmail.com. And the special guest speaker is going to be Mairead O'Keefe. Of the New Leaf Health Shop and Holistic Centre, speaking on maintaining a healthy immune system over the winter months. If you want the link, because it's two o'clock today, KevinQuade9 at gmail.com.
0: Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment.
2: 086 103, 103. And I mentioned a couple of minutes ago the Bikes for Africa, the campaign that hopes to transform the lives of people in Africa that has been launched by the Rotary Club. Now, I got cars from the Rotary Club in Mallow and Barry on the News was talking about Rotary in the uh, city. Um, firstly, John says, Patricia, your remark about our smooth roads made me chuckle when I was talking about they need sturdy bikes because of the rough terrain in the Gambia where these bikes will end up and I said they're not like our smooth roads. Well, I think the Gambia is very, very different to the roads we travel on but I do accept, John, the point you're making. In the area of West Cork where he lives, John says, the roads are potholed, they're uneven There's no roadside drainage. The sooner road maintenance, he says, is given over to a private contractor the better. But I still don't think you'd be travelling on a rough road as you would be in the Gambia. But I absolutely accept that when I said smooth roads, that we don't have all smooth roads. Uh, Thank you for your text. And then a couple of other people have been on. James and Cloyne, for example, has been on. He's got several bikes in his shed. We put him in contact with the Rotary in Mallow. They're going to organise for their collection for Africa. But then Mark was on. She said, "I've got a bike. I'd love to give it. Uh, do you know if anyone's collecting them in West Cork? And I'm wondering if there's anybody listening from a Rotary Club. And I'm assuming there are Rotary clubs in West Cork as well. Is there anyone at the Rotary Club in West Cork and tell us are you collecting the bikes for Africa? Because the press release I have in, as I say, comes from the Rotary Club of Mallow, and they are collecting bikes in all of the North Cork civic amenity sites: Mallow, Canturk, and Mill Street. Barry on the news." Had the City One collecting of the civic community sites in the city. I'm assuming that the civic community sites in West Cork are probably collecting them as well. That's if the Rotary Club in West Cork were involved in these bikes for Africa. So if anybody wants to fill us in on that, please do, so that I can pass it on to listeners in the West Cork area who'd like to donate bikes in order to transform the lives of many of these young students will be able to go to school because they have a bike to get them there. They're literally too far away from their primary schools, secondary schools, colleges for them to walk there and back every day and also remember th- we're talking about the Gambia, the heat of the Gambia as well whereas if we can pop them onto a bike it'll get them there quicker uh, as well so it's a, it's, a, it's a brilliant, brilliant initiative. We wish all the Rotary Clubs luck uh, with it. Now a couple of people were listening to the piece with Michael McGrath on the news. This is the Minister for Public Expenditure who is talking about the extra leave for HSE staff. This is by way of a thank you and a pat on the back and well done guys for everything you've done during the uh, pandemic. And Michael McGrath was speaking in the Dáil today and the 10 days annual leave which is what has been recommended across the public service in, re- in just it is in recon- recognition of all the hard work that was done during during the pandemic. I nearly, I was coming down the stairs after getting a cup of coffee and I heard Michael McGrath on our news bulletin and then he fell down the stairs when I heard him say it could cost more than a billion euro if they decide to give this 10 days annual leave. Now, he did go on to say, look, the heroic effort of frontline healthcare care uh, workers does warrant special recognition from the government. I think everybody accepts that. But he also says there are many others across the public service who also did great work. And I was glad to hear him say there are also people in the private sector who who deserve to be uh, recognised. And I think whenever we hear of the frontline staff, and I'm not taking away from the healthcare workers and the amazing work that they did, but you also need to add to that people who worked in retail people who worked in the supermarkets during all of the pandemic, during the very early days when everything else was shut down and we still needed food, we still needed bread in our table and milk in our fridge and we went to the supermarkets and we went to the local shops and they all remained open and you know, many of them went to work very nervous not knowing who was going to come in, would people have COVID-19, would they pick up COVID-19? Many of them did pick up COVID-19 while they were at work so they need to be recognised uh, as well. Anyway, Michael McGrath says that the government wants to reward those who went beyond the call of duty but he's making the point that it has to be balanced and it also has to be done in an inclusive way. He said there's a very significant cost associated with this claim that's been lodged by the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation and other healthcare workers. They are looking for ten, an extra 10 days annual leave. Now, in all of the papers today they're talking about that and they're saying that the they, extra 10 days annual leave would cost the exchequer €377 million, euro, which is a huge, huge amount of money. But that's what it would cost to give all of the healthcare workers their 10 days annual leave. But of course, when they take annual leave, they have to be replaced. So there's things like overtime would have to kick in and agency staff would have to kick in to cover the leave. So th- he's now saying that he reckons it would be it would exceed €1 billion Euro, if they were to give everybody this uh, 10 days leave. And of course, unions representing healthcare workers went to the Labour Court on Monday in an effort to try to secure uh, recognition. That's why it's been so talked about now. And they want this either in a one off payment or they want the extra leave. The unions are argued also that Ireland is out of step with other European countries because um, staff have already seen formal acknowledgement of their efforts uh, during the pandemic and they have other European countries have either given additional leave, some were given additional pay and others were given a bonus bonuses. But if it's given to the healthcare workers where then, for the government's point of view, where do you draw the line? I mean, they can't force private companies to give bonuses, but if the government give it to the healthcare workers, will you then have a growing demand for extra pay right across the public uh, sector? You know, I mean, will you have people who are who worked on the buses, people who worked on the uh, trains? They all went out uh, to work. What about all the public servants? What about the people who worked in the Department of uh, Social Protection? All the work they did to get the pop payments out uh, to people, all of the civil servants, the guardy went out and they were there on the front line. So you could just see that this bill would just get higher and higher and higher. And of course, sources within the Department of Finance sources within the Department of Public Expenditure. Uh, they're the ones saying, look, if we do this, if we make this special payment and if it is met then it could go to 1 billion euro and that's the 1 billion and 1 billion is exactly the amount that's been suggested that Michael McGrath has available for new spending in the budget so I'm wondering how is if there is a billion euro in new spending is that how it should be spent should it be given to the frontline workers to say look well done you went above and beyond the call of duty and add all the new spending in the budget because it would be one off. I mean, we're not expecting this to happen again uh, next year. I, I could absolutely see that people who work in healthcare, people who work on the front line and civil servants who would get this bonus would say, yeah, give it to us, please, instead. But then I can see the other side of the coin when we have a housing uh, crisis, when we have old age pensioners saying they're struggling, when people say they're struggling for fuel and the cost of fuel is going up. If there's £1 billion on new spending that's available to be spent across the country, Country. you could see a divide there straight away with people saying hang on a tick spread the love out a little bit here it can't all, all just be about people who were frontline workers 1850 333 103 Bernie is taking your calls we are in particular looking for your pet questions please for Jane you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 Court today on scene 103 Call Patricia
0: with your comment 1850 333
2: 103 and um, we're off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Ministry of Veterinary Group where Jane Pickett our resident vet joins me good afternoon to you Jane good afternoon Patricia. and you're very welcome and straight into questions Kay in Kilkenny has been on to us she's feeding a stray cat at the moment the cat has three kittens she reckons the kittens are about three weeks old she's when wondering when should she start giving solid foods to the kittens when does the mum Finish up feeding the kittens and when can she get the mother cat neutered? So she looks like she's planning on doing all the right things, Kay. Uh, well done. So start with the kittens first. When do you introduce solid food?
6: Okay so you introduce solid food quite slowly and um, so I would say anywhere from kind of four weeks on you can start introducing solid food but don't expect them to eat a lot of it. To be totally honest it's quite a messy affair weaning kittens they'll mainly play with the food and shove it around and cover themselves in the food rather than eat it to begin with but eventually they'll cotton on to the idea that it's tasty and it's something that they'll want to eat for a few weeks then they'll have a combination of solid food and their mum's milk but gradually their amount of mum's milk that they'll drink will reduce and partially that's because the mums usually at about six weeks, um, six, seven weeks will begin to get a little bit tired of having the kittens around all of the time and they'll start to self-limit the amount of time that they'll let them um, suckle so usually it's quite a natural process a lot of the time we don't have to intervene very greatly mum will eventually get a little bit sick and tired of having the kittens around all of the time and, and kind of limit their access um and then once you notice that let's say that's happening a little bit more giving uh, giving mom short breaks from the kittens at about six weeks onwards is quite helpful sometimes they just uh, can sometimes the the mums can do with a little bit of peaceful time on their own. So sometimes we find it quite helpful to give them a few hours break and just let the kittens cope on their own as they get a little bit big and bolder at about six seven weeks of age. Um, but usually the mum will kind of uh, enforce the weaning herself most of the time. Um, as regards the mum, she will probably need a little period of time after the kittens stop suckling from her for her for her breasts essentially where the mammary development would have been to settle down so normally they'll be filled with milk for a little while after the weaning has occurred so we need that to all settle down before we can safely do surgery and to spay so to neuter her so that she can't have any further kittens and that's definitely the responsible choice normally it's usually about three to four weeks after they're weaned that they will be suitable for spaying but speak to your own vet locally um, I suppose different surgeons have different preferences at what point they'd like to do that and a lot of the time if we have a cat that has been a recent mum and needs to be going for spaying we'll request that it comes in so that we can assess whether everything has settled down after weaning before we arrange a surgical appointment so most vets will usually do that and they'll be able to guide you better because everybody's a little bit different and in each cat it settles down sometimes quicker sometimes slower so we need to be guided by the cat.
2: Yeah, and can I suggest don't leave it too long. I remember taking in uh, you know. a stray cat uh, who had, there was only one little kitten survived. And uh, I watched her like a hawk and, I, I took her in to get her neutered and she was actually pregnant when she went in to get she was pregnant with another four now they were very small they were at the early stages mm-hmm. but I could not believe how quickly she became pregnant so you do have to keep a very close eye on that uh, Kay. but good luck with it and you're certainly doing all the right thing. Eileen in Charler has a 12 year old palm who lost a tooth a few weeks ago. Her mouth now is has been sore since she's wondering could you recommend anything that could clear up what looks like a little bit of an infection
6: Okay, so this little dog is about 12, is that right? 12-year-old, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the first thing I'd say is well done for noticing, but the really important thing here is losing teeth is never normal. Um, There's always going to be underlying dental disease there or what we call underlying periodontal disease, so disease in the gums and the soft tissues that surround the teeth that would normally keep them nice and steady. So tooth loss is normally a symptom and the end stage of really bad dental disease where things let's say um, below the gum line may not be good so the soft tissues may be quite inflamed or infected and that is called the has to- cause the tooth to become loose and rotten and to fall out. Teeth are very much like icebergs. What we can see from the top is really the tip of the iceberg and the real kind of guts of what keeps the teeth stable and the Areas that can cause pain and discomfort are below the gum line, so it's very difficult to know. What I would suggest rather than trying to mask this um, with any antibiotics or pain relief as a stopgap, although that may be required initially to control your pet symptoms, and your vet will be the best person to judge whether that's required it does sound like your pet needs a full dental health check and most likely some dental work because if one tooth has fallen out, it's quite likely that the gum and soft tissue environment below the gum line in other teeth is also very unhealthy. And you might notice that other teeth start to fall out and you know, dental disease is really painful. It's really a silent source of pain in our dogs and cats and they're such stoic animals that really they have to be very, very unwell before they stop eating. So it's always best to intervene before that occurs. So visit your vet for a full health check you might need some pain relief, potentially some antibiotics. Your vet will be the best person to judge that having seen the pet on, in their consult. Um, and they'll be able to advise you as, as to if any further dental work would be required to, to, let's say, delay or avoid or even avoid pain entirely by extracting teeth that might be a source of pain going forward.
2: OK, Alan in Malo has a, a five year old to Jack Russell, who is fed on nuts. The Jack Russell, uh, she started within the last three weeks to go off her food. She's now eating very little, seems healthy, seems happy. Everything else is normal, but it's just eating much less than she normally did. Uh, Alan normally soaks the nuts in hot water because she seems to prefer it. The little Jack Russell prefers it that way. Why would she suddenly be eating less?
6: Okay, there's a number of things that could be going on here. Um, And I hate to sound like a broken record, but this dog similar to the last one, probably needs a health check to assess this dental disease. So if you're noticing that a pet prefers, let's say, soft food over hard food, a preference for that sometimes indicates, can be an early indicator, that they might have some pain in their mouth or a toothache. So that's the first thing that I'd wonder about. However, it's important not to be blinkered in the face of just going off food because it can be lots of other things will be a problem. It could be that they might be feeling nauseous. It could be that it might be an early indicator of a more serious problem internally with the liver, kidneys, any of the organs, for example, with going off their food it can really be a symptom of a multitude of diseases. So giving a hard and fast kind of answer is um, not, let's say, the wisest. But what I would say is a change in your pet and noticing that and well done and noticing that is definitely something that should trigger a trip to the vet, even if they seem otherwise well.
2: We just lost Jane. She's done. and. will uh, throw to the vet for a full health check. OK, you go back. We just, we just lost you there uh, just at the very end, but that's uh, fine. Uh, OK, and uh, Sandra has two Labradors. One is a three-year-old and one is 18 months. The younger Labrador, she noticed, drinks way less than the older Labrador. Should she be concerned that the younger dog just doesn't seem to drink water at the same level, even after a walk, the older dog, the three-year-old dog, We'll always have a good drink of water, whereas the younger one doesn't seem to drink as much. Should you be concerned about a dog not drinking enough fluids?
6: Um, As a general rule, no. I'd generally be an awful lot more worried about a dog that was otherwise healthy on themselves, but drinking more than usual. Um, So there could be a few factors that vary in between these two dogs. They're in the same home environment, so I assume their kind of uh, diet is probably very similar. If their diet is the same, then they should have the same hydration from their food. So theoretically, they should be drinking about the same amount. Now, an 18-month-old dog and a three-year-old dog, they're probably getting towards a similar body weight. Um, But certainly differences in body weight can change the amount they would drink. So a smaller dog or a younger, smaller dog would drink less than a a larger, older adult dog. So that may account for some of the change. But what I would say is I will be a little bit concerned if you're noticing a lot more drinking on the part of the older dog, it's them I would be worried about rather than, let's say, uh, less incentive to drink on the part of the younger dog if they're otherwise well in themselves, because um, excessive drinking and as a result, sometimes excessive peeing can be an early indicator of, let's say, uh, urinary tract, so a bladder infection, um, problem with the kidneys diseases like diabetes now these things are always usually very uncommon in younger dogs at the age of three but it's always best to I suppose keep our ears and eyes open for these things and just be sensitive to the changes it sounds like you're a really astute owner noticing the difference between the the drinking between both dogs but I think on this front I'd be a little bit more worried about the excessive so too much drinking rather than the drinking too less as long as the younger dog seems otherwise well in itself keep an eye on it dogs should normally drink about um roughly about 50 to 100 mils per kg of body weight so one thing you can do is you can monitor their water intake by measuring out a certain amount of water in the morning it's a little bit more difficult if you have two dogs because then you're kind of accounting for two dogs unless you can separate them but it can give you a little idea as to whether the amount is appropriate or if it's a little bit too much or a little bit too little
2: all right we'll leave it there jane have a lovely weekend we'll chat again next thursday You too. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket that is part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. And I can spot a number of uh, texts coming in reacting to the piece I mentioned uh, about whether the recognition leave and pay for frontline staff that's been discussed in the doll with the Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath saying that if everyone, if the annual ten days annual leave was given right across the public ser- sector in recognition of the hard work during the pandemic, it would cost the state more than more than a billion a euro. Okay, uh, some people commenting on that: nurses and doctors says the texter isn't it their job to care for the sick. Didn't they get paid while they were caring for the sick? Every single person in Ireland should get something. Hey, what about less income tax for a year? Wouldn't that be good? I lost my job last uh, year. It will be hell for me, says a uh, texter. How is it, says somebody else, people always want extra pay for what they do. I know they were very good but they were paid for their work at the end of the day. Our country has lost enough and this pandemic has cost the country enough. Why do these people want to put more pressure on the state? They should be glad that they have a job and held on to their job. Hi, Patricia. When people praise workers for their efforts in the pandemic, nobody ever mentions the amazing IT support teams who set up and maintained all of the online virtual working systems. They're not highly paid, but they were the wind beneath the wings of industry the throughout the pandemic says uh, Judy that's very well put and yeah it's a group that don't often get uh, mentioned and hi uh, Patricia frontline workers please don't mention my name but two of my children adult children now now worked all over the lockdown one was doing her leaving search kept her job going while the other one kept his job in a local shop and did a college course remotely at the same time we're always quick to knock young people but an awful lot of them them are doing their best and are fantastic. my lot came home exhausted. At night, stuck their work uniforms into the wash and got up early in the morning to stick them in the dryer in order for them to be ready for work the following day. I know health workers are amazing, but young people often get overlooked too. Uh, I now I could name lots of families that had young people who kept the supermarket chains going during lockdown. I think young people deserve a mention too. That's why I leave you for today. Thanks to Bernie Murphy for producing. John Green with you for the afternoon. We're back with you tomorrow morning at ten. Until then, I'm Tricia Messenger. Hey, good afternoon